We are wrapping up our You Asked For It message series, and we've hit on some great topics in the series so far. We talked about, and this was my personal favorite week, why are Christians so judgmental? That was a good one. Uh, We talked about some important stuff, like how can I know God's will for my life? How can I understand the Bible? And this morning, we are going to be talking about something that we all need, especially as we head into what for a lot of us will be the busiest month of the year. This morning, I want to speak to you on the topic, and this was a question that you had, how can I deal with stress? This is your question. You wanted, you wanted to know about some real spiritual stuff, like how can I understand my Bible and know God's will, and you wanted to know how do I deal with stress and anxiety? And so this morning, we're going to go to God's word. Now, I know that this is actually for a lot of people. This is the thing that keeps you from an all-out relationship with God. Stress and anxiety and tension around all the vast amount of stuff you've got going on in your world. And so here's my prayer for you today. My prayer is that over the next few minutes as as I share some simple thoughts and as we go to God's word, that the Holy Spirit would actually minister life and encouragement to you. The Holy Spirit would be able to unravel and bring some freedom to your heart. From, from some of the stress and anxiety that keeps you gripped and, and oftentimes, in fact, keeps you focused on stuff uh, that God wants to shift your focus away from and bring you into a new place. So I'm praying for encouragement and life for you all over the room today. There's a lot of reasons why we are stressed out, burnt out, anxious, why you might even call this the age of anxiety. One of the reasons that like, we're actually more, we're probably, there's been a lot of, in history, there's been a lot of um, things to be stressed out about. And we've gotten past some of those things, you know, like there's, you know, we we have longer life expectancy and and all of that. But here's some of the reasons, and this is, you know, some of the reasons we're stressed in 2017. One of the reasons is we just, you have so many choices to make. It actually stresses us out. It doesn't, you know, we have so many things that you can do, and it doesn't necessarily bring satisfaction. At times it brings stress. Like even trying to decide what to do when you're trying to chill out. When I was growing up, uh, we had two, t- two TV channels, two. And if you wanted to change them from one to the other, uh, you actually had to get up and you had to turn a dial physically on the television. And I know what you're thinking. He looks way too young for that. I, it's, thank you. I appreciate that. It's so great. But today, like, I actually spend more time scrolling through the thousands of Netflix options that I have. Netflix? Netflix? Hello. Uh, <laughs> See, that's how I grew up. I only had one option. It was Netflix. Uh, but now it's Netflix. That's great. Okay. So I go through the, more, the options more than I actually do spending time watching them because I'm just overwhelmed with the options I have. Parents with our kids, right? Like when your parents were growing up, they only had one option, or at least that's what they told you when they were trying to guilt you. They were like, all that we could do was go outside and play. And now you kids today, I mean, we got rooms full of toys for our kids. Rooms. And we do this because we love them, but actually studies show that rather than bringing satisfaction, for our kids, that actually brings stress. They've got so many options, and now the parents are like, now I'm, way to go, you stressed me out more that I got too many toys for my kids. We got stress, we got options. Another reason that we're so stressed out is social expectations. It's not even the stress of trying to have the life that you want, it's the stress of trying to have the life that you think society tells you that you should be having. Trying to keep your kids in as many activities as the neighbors. You know, trying to just do all the stuff that you need to do. 
get your kids up on Insta Story without them saying something crazy. This week, I wanted to put up on Insta Story. I wanted to encourage the church, you know, with a little bit of what Avia and I do every night. I talked about it last week. I said every week, or every night rather, I, I sit with her and I say, hey, baby girl, what are you thankful for? Um, and let's just thank God for that. And so I got out my phone, and I'm like, we're, gonna, we're just going to encourage the house. We're going to encourage the church with this, at least those that are on Instagram and watch Insta Story, and that follow me. And if you don't, <laughs> that's fine. You don't need to. Um, so I get out the phone, and I, I turn on a, a light because it was actually kind of dark, and I wanted you to be able to see. So I turn on a light, and then I started to film. And I said, Abby, what are you thankful for? And before I could get the question out, she said, peep and poop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, baby girl, this is supposed to inspire and encourage. What else are you thankful for? And she said, our church. And I was like, yes, stop. Don't say anything else. That'll do. <laughs> this is stressful. There's so many stressful trying to get your kids to behave in public. Stressful. We're stressed out. There's so much in our world to, to be stressed. You know, another thing that really stresses us, us out is just the buying into the idea that we've got to have it all. I don't know if you saw this, but just this last week, a study came out that Canada, as Canadians, we have more consumer debt than any other people on the face of the earth. Come on, we're number one at something, right? You know what I mean? We're, it used to be hockey, now it's spending, right? We just, we're, we lead the way. I mean, it's, it's not even really that close. We actually spend, and I don't know if this means anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to me, but in case it means something to you, we spend more than our GDP, and I don't know, or something like that, or we debt, more debt, I don't know what it means, but let's just move on. It's just some numbers that don't matter. We actually spend more than 117% of our income, and I don't even know how that's possible, but we do. Canadians, we spend so much, and we get, we get stressed out because we buy into the idea that I've just gotta have everything, and I gotta have it all right now, and so and for the next few minutes, I want us to go to God's word, and, and here's what this morning's message is not. This morning's message is not some ways that you can have tips or tricks to cope with stress. That's not what this is. You don't want to know what else this isn't. This isn't ways for you to be able to keep the life that you have. It's not that either. This is some ways that we need to shift our hearts and our minds into a whole new way of thinking, living, believing, and behaving. So let's go to God's word together. You know the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 4. And verse 6, it says, Better is one handful with quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. What the writer is saying to us here is that it's actually better to have less of what matters than lots of what doesn't. It's better to have less of what matters than lots of what doesn't. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and he said basically kind of this passage to me. It was so great. He said, when I'm in rest, I actually realize that I have most of the things that I would want in this life. But when I'm stressed out, I feel like I've got nothing. When I pause and I look, and I'm in a place of rest, I can look at one hand, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much mostly everything I would want in this life. But when we get stressed out, we could have two hands full and we're like, man, I have nothing at all. In so many areas of our life, less is actually better. I've even in my own life over the last number of months actually um, pulled back the number of meetings that I believe I can have in a day. 
And it's not because I want to spend less time with people. I actually want to spend more time with people. But the reason I've done this is that I've just realized I actually want to have meaningful conversations with everyone that I sit down with. And in order to have a level of meaning in the conversations that I'm going to have, I just have to have less of them so that I can be fully available to the people that I'm sitting with. In many areas of our lives, less is more. Now, I know so many people who've actually moved 30, 40 minutes further east to have some more square footage in their homes, you know, further east of Vancouver. You just got to keep moving east because it gets, it gets cheaper. Now, I, there's nothing wrong with moving east. There's nothing wrong with moving. There's nothing wrong with you know, living where you can afford to live. No problem with any of those things. The problem is that oftentimes we are making major life decisions not on the basis of what are we called to, what's the community God's called us to, what are the people he's put in my life, who are my friends that are my ride or dies. No, we're making major life decisions on the basis of two handfuls is better than one. You know, if $1 is good, $2 is better. If 500 square feet is good, 1,000 square feet is better. And we just buy into the idea that what we need is more handfuls of stuff when really the Bible tells us and we know in our hearts it's better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with toil and a striving after wind. So the first thing we need to realize if we're going to actually begin to change the stress that's going on in our lives is we've got to realize it's actually better to have less of what matters than it is to have lots of what doesn't. You know, the interesting thing about me sharing a message on anxiety and stress is that I used to have, I mean, I used to be so anxious, I didn't know I was anxious. I, I didn't even have the self-awareness to acknowledge I was anxious. I was too anxious. And I still am on a journey towards less anxiety in my life. And so I want to share a little bit of the journey that I've had and hopes that it might encourage you and and some of you will know these things. And Rachel and I have really talked about many times sharing aspects of our journey that would encourage you. Two and a half years ago when Rachel's mom died, it threw our marriage into the most painful place uh, we've ever had to walk through in 12 years. And Rachel and I, you know, I wanted to pr- provide perfect answers for how we would walk through grief. But when grief hit our home, my best attempts to anxiously provide perfect answers led to myself feeling very inadequate when it didn't work and Rachel feeling alone. And I'm a perfectionist in my life. I want to do well, but not just the healthy striving part where it's like a healthy chase after doing things well, but the unhealthy part where it's about performance and actually trying to prove my worth. And so Rachel and I, we were, we were in this season where it was a struggle for us when anxiety, or when anxiety and grief combined. And so we started going to counseling together. And uh, I remember when we first started going to counseling, I was trying to stay a step ahead of the counselor. You know, that I could figure out what she would want me to know before she wanted me to know it. Thank goodness we had someone that could see through me. And when I realized that she could see how anxious I was, when I came face to face with the fact that she could see that I was trying to think of what she wanted me to know before she wanted me to know it, when I realized that she could see through the shell I had that was like, I've got this all together, it scared the life out of me. Because maybe others could see through it too. And maybe you're here this morning and you're further along the journey than I was. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I know I'm anxious. And you know, I'm just waiting for you to get to the part of the message where you, sh- you share the tips and tricks, the coping mechanisms. That's what I want this morning. 
Or maybe you're here and you're like me and, and you're trying so hard to present on the outside that everything's fine that you actually might have bought into the myth that everything is fine. In fact, hiding from everyone, including yourself, the level of anxiety and insecurity that you're keeping hidden from everyone. Maybe you're here this morning, and this is actually what keeps you back from Christianity. The, the idea that, you know what, when you go to church, man, they're just happy, and they just bury their heads in the sand, and even though the world could be crumbling around them, they're just like, you know, they're just going to sing their happy songs, but my life is way too messed up to, to be involved in, in that kind of thing. No, that's, that's just, I'm going to push away from that. You know, here's the thing, regardless of where you're at this morning, here's what I know to be true. If we're actually going to deal with stress and anxiety in our lives, we are going to have to get to the place where we let go of the emotional attachment we have with having it all and being it all. And so the second thing that we need to press into, if the first is this idea that that it's better to have less of what matters than lots of what doesn't. The second thing that we need to wrap our minds around a new way of thinking is this. You can't deal with stress alone. I used to think that stress relief was Netflix. Escaping, coping. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's, who knows? It could be any means that you use to try and kind of escape from the anxiety of your day. Here's what I've discovered. The number one thing God has given me in this life to deal, truly deal, with anxiety, not just for a half hour or an hour, but actually in my life. To change the person that I am is to put people in my life that love me the way I am but love me too much to leave me that way, that are going to listen to what I'm going through, that are going to understand the challenge of the anxiety I'm going through, and that are actually going to be my ride or dies and are going to walk with me through it. And you know what's amazing about the Bible? Jesus actually modeled this for us. The night before he would go to the cross, this is what the Bible says. And you would expect the savior of the world to in every situation be putting on like a really tough, like I've got this face, right? He's the savior of the world. Watch how he models the, like the depth of sharing his heart and what he's going through. Verse 36 of Matthew 26 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now pause there for a moment. Do you notice that he didn't take everybody with him? Everybody doesn't need to hear about your stress, but you need to have a small group of people that do. He took with him his closest three, and listen to what Jesus says to them, modeling this for us. So then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus models for us that you and I weren't built as human beings to deal with stress alone. You've got to have people in your life that can speak into your life. And so the first things that we've talked about is number one, is better in so many areas of our life, to have less of what matters than lots of what doesn't. And secondly, you're not built to deal with stress on your own. And finally, those two things are important. Those two things are both in God's word. But there's one thing above everything else that we need if we're actually going to start to deal 
with the stress and anxiety that maybe keeps you up at night, that maybe keeps your, your chest feeling tight, that maybe has you even perhaps turning to medication and things. And I've got nothing wrong with medications, but it can't be your answer. It can't be the only thing that you're looking to. What is the one thing more than anything else that the Bible presents for us as a way of dealing with the stress and anxieties of our life? Go with me to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm 27, this is what the writer King David says. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David, the writer of this, he, I think David was a perfectionist. You know, he's, I can relate to David in that perfectionism because I think he was too. I think, you know, the Bible says that he was the best on his instrument, uh, you know, really out of anyone. And so he was, you know, he's probably a perfectionist. He also had some serious stresses on his time. Leading a nation will do that to you. And yet he's able to say, yet will I be confident. Of whom shall I be afraid? What shall I be afraid of? You know, even if an army were to come up against me, even if the worst physical thing that could happen to you, like an army coming up against you, even if that were to happen to me, my heart will be steadfast. How do you get to that place, David? What is going on in your heart? And the first thing we need to really pull out of these verses, and it's super countercultural. It goes against what a lot of the writing we will find on stress and anxiety these days is telling us to do. Because a lot of that writing is saying, you know, just, you need to think about it less. You know, really what you need to do is you kind of just got to, if you would stop thinking about all the stresses you have, then you'd be a little bit less stressed out. But this is actually the opposite. What we find David doing here, David is looking at the worst case scenario. If an army came, that's your worst day, right? If an army came against me, even yet I would still be confident. You read the rest of the chapter, David goes on and says, emotionally, the worst thing that could happen to me emotionally, he says, if my mother and father forsook me. But, you know, we don't, we don't have any indication that David's father and mother forsook him. He's really just looking at, here's the worst case scenarios, physically, emotionally. If I looked at the worst things that could possibly happen to me, here's where I would be at. Here's where my heart would be at. I would be strong. I'd have peace. David, how, how do you get there? And what we see with David actually looking at these worst case scenarios is something I think that's important. That you and I weren't designed to try and push away or remove ourselves from situations that have anxiety and have stress. The opposite is true. God has actually made us so that we can stand in the middle of stressful situations. We can stand in the middle of things that would make people incredibly anxious with supernatural strength, with supernatural boldness, and be able to say, even in the midst of this, I've got confidence in my heart. God has not wired you to push back from those things, but actually stand in the middle of them confident in his presence so how do we do that what does what does David say verse 4 is the key he says this one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord you see here's the reason so many of us are stressed out we've not made our one thing something that is secure our one thing is something that's totally vulnerable. We've made our one thing something that could be taken away from us. David says, hey, if you want to know the real key to, to dealing with anxiety and stress in your life, you've got to make the one thing that's most important to you something that couldn't be taken away by an army or even by your mother and father walking out on you. You've got you to dwell in the house of God. David's like, I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna move into the church. <laughs> and, and we rent the building, so you can't do that. But 
David's not even saying more time in church is going to fix your anxiety problems. What he is saying is that in the presence of God, when I make that my one thing, when that is the most important thing in my life, I actually realize that what I have can't be taken away from me. David says, that's my, that's my, that's my one thing. Dwelling in the presence of God. Here's the challenge to the message. Here's, here's the tough part. Most of what you need in life, you can get in two days from Amazon. But you can't get a heart that dwells at rest in the presence of God in two days. You gotta change your lifestyle. You gotta change your, your habits. You gotta change what gets repetition in your life and it's not easy. You have to change your priorities and make getting into the presence of God, not just getting into his presence, but constantly, even in the midst of your busyness, thinking on the goodness of God, thinking on his rest that he calls you into. You know what's so great about our God is that in his presence is rest. That's why David says, hey, you know what? The army problems or the parent problems or whatever problems may come, you know what I need? I need to get into the presence of God. Why? Because in the presence of God is confidence and peace and rest. How great is our God? You want to know how to spot a false God? Find something that makes you anxious. There's a lot of religions in the world, and you know how they try to lead you? Anxiety. There's gods that want to make you stressed out, like you don't know if you've done enough. You know what the Christian God does? The absolute opposite. You've never done enough, but I've done it for you. You want to know how you spot a real God? He doesn't try to lead you with anxiety. He doesn't say, get into my presence and you won't know if you measure up. He says, come into my presence because it's there that you know no matter what happens, I have peace. There's peace in the presence of God. We've all had the boss, right? where they want to lead you with anxiety. They want you to feel stressed out. They're like, you'll perform better if you get stressed out. Right, we've all had that boss. Some of you are that boss, that's fine. If I stress them out enough, you know, they realize that they're, they're not really that good and they can't go get another job somewhere else. I gotta make them feel like they're not all that great. Listen, God is overall, he's, 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 he's a good leader, right? God, does, God is not so insecure that he thinks he needs to lead you by making you feel stressed out and worried about where you stand with God. No, he says the very opposite. He says, come into my presence and you're gonna get some peace. And I'm gonna, that's actually what is gonna motivate and lead you to a life that is dwelling in the presence of God. In this December, Come on, church, we need to dwell deeper. And I don't know what dwelling deeper is gonna look like for you this December. Maybe it's gonna be realizing, you know, one handful. It's better to have one handful of what matters than lots of what doesn't. Maybe that's gonna actually shift the way you think about some things this December, right? Maybe it's the realization that you can't do stress alone. You know, you're only gonna be as connected as you choose to be. It's going to take some work to seek connection in your life. But you got to have the people in your life. Actually, the one thing God has given you on this planet more than anything else, Jesus models it to us, to deal with stress and anxiety is, are, is people who know what you're going through and who stand with you in the midst of it. But the most important thing above everything else is that we might learn to dwell. Would you stand with me all over the room, church? God, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we lean into it, God. 
We lean into you, God, into your everlasting arms, God. I thank you, God, that your throne is named Grace, God, so that we can come before you today, not on the basis of what we've done, but simply on the basis of who Jesus Christ is and in your presence where we can dwell. In fact, you've made an invitation to us to dwell. I pray, God, more than any of the simple words I've shared today, we would, as a church, understand the greatness of the invitation to dwell. I pray, God, as a church, we would not be those who perhaps our greatest sin at times is just forgetting how much joy is in your presence, God. May we not be those kids, but may we be the ones that understand how much joy is in the presence of our God. May this December look different. The way that we interact with the busyness, may it look different. The way that we think about giving and receiving, may it look different. God, the way we think about you and what you've done for us, God, may we dwell in the presence of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Whew. Come on, just for a moment, I invite you to just raise your hands if you'd feel comfortable. Just present to God that stuff that you've been worrying about, that stuff you've been stressing. Just present it before the God who cares, the God who built you, the God who has a purpose and plan for your life. Lord, we lay it down and we trust you in Jesus' name. Grab your attention for just one more moment. This is really the most important part of our service every week where we make an opportunity for people who are far from God. You're in the room this morning and, you're, and you're, you know you're not following after Jesus. It's not just that you know you had a tough week, but you actually know your life is not committed to following Jesus. This morning I wanna give you an opportunity to choose to follow Jesus, to become a Christian. And in a moment what I'm gonna ask you to do, if that's your decision today, is just to raise your hand when I count to three. We say this all the time, raising your hand is not gonna save you. Faith in Jesus will. And all we wanna do together this morning is to pray a prayer of faith before we leave this place. We won't center you out or embarrass you. It's only me looking around. But I want you to raise your hand in a moment to say today's a day of decision to choose to follow Jesus. I know I'm not following you. Today's my day. If that's you, say yeah, today's my day to make a decision to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Would you raise your hand on three, one, two, say, yeah, pastor, pray with me today. Before we close this service, today's my day. Today's my day. Looking around for just another moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But whether you raise your hand or not, let's be in your, in your heart's a desire to come to Jesus today. Let's pray this. Say, dear Jesus, my heart and soul are yours, and I choose to follow you all in from my sin, my way of doing things, to follow you. Help me to follow you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for anyone who prayed that prayer in the room this morning?